Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We are a Bible-believing, miracle-expecting church. Amen? And I think a lot of times, because of the, the, what is normal for people, what is normal for people of faith is not that much different from what's normal from people not of faith in the earth. In other words, the things that we experience, the things that we don't experience that are ours in Christ. You know, that oftentimes there's not much different in our mindsets. You know, a lot of believers have a hope of a eternal life in Christ. We know that, you know, we're free from the judgment of God because we're in Christ. We know that we're going to live forever. There's a hope in an afterlife. But I think a lot of times most of Christianity doesn't really have a working faith that interacts with this spiritual life that's available in relationship with God. And so, you know, it, it's odd that when we talk about miracles and things happening that seem impossible or like speak to your shoulders, speak to this, speak to, you know, speak the word of life, declare this. Um, we don't, we don't see a lot of change when, th- when we live that way, so we just stop doing it, and then it desensitizes down into faith is about what's going to happen after life than this active aspect of living that we could experience here on earth, right? And that, that's something that I really personally want to expand my heart in, but also to us as a body is just expand the expectation of experiencing the life of God in every area of our lives, in a real and practical way, not in a way where you got to manufacture, you know, the hype where you got to sit there and rock and worship for 30 minutes before it's like all of a sudden, oh, now I feel the spirit. No, that's probably just your endorphins because you sat there and rocked for so long, you know. (laughs) You you whipped yourself up into an adrenaline frenzy and you call it the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Did, Sarah doesn't like that illustration. <laughs> so I'm not saying if you rock, don't, now don't judge the people that rock. I'm not saying that rocking is not of God because, you know, if you look, yeah, not that kind of rocking, a different kind of rocking, yeah. Because, it, it, because you know, even the, even the people sway, you know, you see that people sway. So like, don't get self-conscious and judge the person for swaying. But all I'm saying is, you know, do we really have a real practical relationship with the Spirit of God that's affecting our lives, and it's not just some biological or physiological effect that's not really affecting our hearts. I think that's probably one of the biggest tragedies in the body of Christ is those that believe that miracles can happen don't really take the time to engage the Spirit of God inwardly, to really let that Word go deep within you so that you actually expect the Spirit of God to affect that situation more than you, affect, you expect the economy to affect that situation or more than you expect whoever's 
president to affect that situation. Are you with me? So in other words, are we actually living a life of faith where we're expecting the Spirit of God in us and around us to actually have an effect in our lives? And I was thinking about this, you know, faith. So faith, I think faith for a lot of people is, is a choice to believe in spite of a lack of evidence. Faith is not a choice to just believe in spite of a lack of evidence. Faith is an actual response to the Spirit of God who's interacting with us. Faith is not just, I'm reading Scripture, I see that it's there, I believe it, I know that it's true, so I'm going to choose to believe it. You know, that is an aspect of faith. That's the mind renewal aspect of faith. But there's this interactive reality of a life of faith where we are connected with God. And, I, you know, I want to I live experiencing that in a real way. I want to live experiencing where that changes how I see things, it changes my choices, but it also affects my health, my choices about how I relate to people, my choices about how I'm going to behave, but then also, too, how I'm willing to move toward people. Am I actually expecting that the Spirit of God in this moment is a resource of power in life and a relational being that is communicating with me and leading me throughout my life? Or is it just, you know, he's there, I don't really understand, he's working somehow, I need a little bit of his knowledge, so I'm going to read the Word so that I do kind of understand some things. You know, and, and it's really kind of hard to put into words because nobody can really teach. It's, it's like being in love with your spouse, right? Nobody can tell you how to do that. It, it, it's your relationship. There's, there's the intricacies and the details about daily life together, which, side note, by the way, I was uh, listening to my favorite uh, almost born-again online personality, Dr. Jordan Peterson. I'm praying that that guy actually gets born again. He might be, but anyway. Um, he was talking about marriage, and he said, uh, in, in marriage, what you want to get right in marriage, and really all relationships, but specifically in marriage, because and this is for after decades of clinical work in marriage counseling, because he was a practicing counselor for a long time. You know, I think that's what a lot of people miss about his insight, is that he actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> but anyway, so he said, you know, here's what you want to get right. Not so much, because a couple will come in, and there's these big things. Well, you know, we don't do these vacations, and we don't do this, and it's like about the big things. And so he gets them focusing on the little things, you know, like what Kelly was talking about. And there's a parallel in faith, life, and relationships. But he said, you know, if you get the interaction in the kitchen right, where when you pass each other, or when you wake up, or as you're going to bed, or when you're getting in the car, or, you know, if you get those moments right, that's what builds a relationship. That's what builds a life together. And then if you can't afford a big, giant, you know, earth-shattering, once-in-a-lifetime vacation, then you you're not getting hung up on that and judging your marriage because all the little things are so great. The touches, the kind words, the, the thoughtful responses, you know, it's in those moments. And, and honestly, I think Christians will be more impactful if we learn how to be faithful 
in the little things in our own lives, and we don't wait until we're desperate to call out to Him. That's unfortunately when most people expect to experience the impact of the Spirit of God is when we've gotten ourselves into trouble, we're desperate, we need a miracle, and then it's like we cry out to Him. But the problem is we haven't daily conditioned our heart and our minds to to see how he thinks, to know how he thinks, to have his word planted in our hearts, to expect him to be active and moving, right? And so we don't daily wash our minds and sow into our hearts. Then when the big thing comes, our heart's at a place where we're not really going to depend on him. You know, if you wait until you need a miracle to experience the Spirit of God, it most likely won't happen because your heart's at a place where you can't, perceive how he would lead you in that moment. Now, fortunately, God's bigger than your heart. God's bigger than anything. He has a relationship with him. But take it personally, and then do we seek to apply. There are things about our spiritual life with God that it's just kind of hard to wrap our minds around, you know? Like, like, so for instance, what Mike brought up when they said to Jesus, who sinned? Was it, was it this him or his parents that sinned that this man is blind? And Jesus' answer was, neither, period, neither. It's none of that stuff. And, it, and his answer, but that God would be glorified, I'm going to heal him. The answer was not, it wasn't the sin. The answer was not, he's blind so that God can get glory from healing him. The answer was, no, it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's not the sin. His answer was, but I'm going to heal him so God gets glorified. It's like a total shifting of the subject. It's like, yes, yeah, sin's an issue. We need to clean that stuff up. Stop it. It's killing you. But it, that's not why he's blind. Anyway, side note. So, th- but this idea, and I, I want to I run through a few things here because I, I, I want to... Oh, so here's the, here's the point. <laughs> if interacting with the Spirit of God, if seeking to understand how the Spirit moves and works in our lives is a mental exercise only, then you'll never really get it. You understand it as you seek to apply it to your life. So as you seek to take steps to actually apply to your life the spiritual teachings of Scripture that's where it starts to get worked out because those, that's where you step into the moment and the grace is there, which then brings about an understanding, which then brings about the capacity to know and, and to, to live. And believing is then anchored in an experience rather than just knowledge. You know, so I think a lot of us aren't actually seeking to apply the Word of God. We're reading it. We agree with it, we're happy about it, but are we actually seeking to apply the Word of God to our lives so that it changes us and it changes us to the degree that we are image bearers of Him? We are message carriers. We are kingdom ambassadors, right? So I can promise you the areas where you're confused, you're going to love this one. But the areas where you're confused about the workings of the Spirit 
are areas where you're not all in on seeking to apply those teachings to your life. So, what does it look like to actually seek to apply the teachings of Christ to your life? And I'll just tell you, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. That's where you get in that word and you actually seek to put these things into practice. You know, I could give you a list of seven bullet points of do this, da, 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 da. and there are some specifics of lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know, there are, there are some literal steps outlined. But for you personally, for this to affect your life, are you actually seeking to apply the Word of God? Like when you read Scripture, do you walk away from it agreeing with it, seeking some information, or actually seeking a strategy to put this to work in your life? Because it's the working out of it that brings the faith in it, that brings the confidence in it. Does that make sense? And, and it, it's important that we seek to apply because we read some things, and there's not a lot of definition there of how to apply it. It's interesting. I mean, there's some you know, really great and cool things that are talked about about the Spirit of God, what He's doing, but, but how do you actually live that out? And, and it's, it's challenging. Like this passage here, I'm going to read something, and then I'm actually going to go over a few passages from last week, and then we're going to end talking about mRNA vaccines. Y'all want to talk about mRNA vaccines? Yes. He does. <laughs> so this is Romans 8, 16, and all the passages today are from the New King James. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself, and this is why you got to read Scripture slowly, because every word's deliberate. Every word's deliberate. The Spirit himself. Now, obviously, this is not the original language. They try to translate as closely as possible to the original language. But I think even some of these translations are inspired to the degree where, you know, we really get moments of pause where you can get insight from it. So the Spirit himself, not itself, some translations actually say itself. It could have just left out himself, but there's this personal aspect to it. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when you seek, so, okay, so how do we apply that? How do I make that an interactive aspect of my faith walk with Christ? Personally, for me, and I've done this with this particular passage for years, if I'm praying through something or I'm looking into an aspect or I'm trying to understand something or I'm trying to help somebody else walk through this thing, what does this look like in practice? When I pray and I seek knowledge or understanding or direction from God, I make sure that I'm hearing from a position of sonship. I make sure that I'm hearing from a position of this is my father, right? Not a legalistic aspect of what am I supposed to, what's the right thing to do here? It's, am I connecting with God as my father? So, so in other words, whatever I'm about to hear from him, whether it be challenging, a rebuke, an encouragement, whatever it is that I hear from him, am I hearing it through the filter that this is my father and I'm his son? And honestly, you know, that should be the filter on everything. But, that, but it's like, all right, so that's one practical way, and it might mean something else for you. How you specifically apply this to your life, it might be another way. But the point is this, the Spirit of God in this moment, so think about this right now, just think about it. Be aware 
Like we can, like you just think about God. How many of you are thinking about God? Like he's out there somewhere, right? He's in here. He created all things. It's interesting where our minds go. What's he doing? When's this all going to wrap up? Be nice to go ahead and get up on those streets of gold. You know, what, wherever your thoughts go. In this moment right now, he's testifying in your heart that you belong to him. He's constantly reminding you, no, you're, you're my child. I love you. I gave up everything to become human, to destroy death, to have you in my life, in my family. You're worth everything to me, to risk it all to come. So that's kind of where my mind starts going. His spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are his children. You know, so when you're praying, especially if you're dealing with a sin issue and you're feeling that sense of guilt and condemnation, is that filtering how you think God is speaking to you? Like if you're feeling that condemnation as if it's coming from him, then you need to renew your mind. Not even just repent of the sin, but repent of the way you're thinking about how he's treating you in that moment. Because he's not going to come at you with condemnation. Now, he might come at you with correction, which is different. He might come at you with um, uh, conviction, that's a judgment. The conviction is not a con, but it's your job to make sure that you're hearing it out of it. But right, and he's constantly affirming to you and reminding you, Logically, just three points. If you're a child of God, then that means you're an heir of God. This is a three-point sermon here, all in one little passage. Spirit is confirming and testifying to you that you're his child. Logically, if you're a child, then you're an heir, right? There's an inheritance for children, but not just any kind of heir. You're actually a joint heir with Christ. You're his child. You're an heir, but it's not a limited inheritance. You're a joint heir with Christ. Go read Hebrews 1, that Christ inherited everything, absolutely everything. So when we pray, this should condition our minds and our hearts to not approach God from a place of lack. So if I'm praying and I'm seeking God for something that I feel like that I don't have, you're not recognizing your inheritance and your joint heirship with Christ. You're not recognizing this joint inheritance that you have with Christ. Now, it may not yet be manifest in your life as it is in Christ's life in this moment, but as you seek to actually apply this in your steps and your decisions, then the understanding comes of how to interact with this powerful truth to apply it to your life. Are you with me? you got to take time when you read the Word to not just try to understand and memorize chapter and verse, but actually see it as a practical aspect of your life that you can actually live within this reality. Does that make sense? I, I mean, I hope it does. I'll try to say it even more clear as we go, but it's like if you aren't seeking to apply it, it's just information for you. If you aren't seeking to apply it, it doesn't carry the weight of transformation in it. And so what we're talking about is this interactive life with a God that we can't see, that we know that he's constantly reminding us that we're his child, but 
Over and over and over and over again, we have the concept that he's giving us life. This is right around in the same area where it says that even though our body's dead, he's giving life to our physical body because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of us. How do you practically live within the expectation that that spirit that brought the body of Christ back to life is active in you now? What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to practically expect and put into practice the fact that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your physical body right now? I'm, I'm, I don't want to put bows on these answers. I, I want to challenge your heart and mind to seek God in that way, to engage the Word in that way. So we're talking about the life of God. We're talking about this idea of Zoe. We started this series last week. Um, Zoe is the Greek word for life, and it's not to be confused with the idea of zeo. Just quickly, zeo is the Greek word for live. So when Jesus says in John 10, 10, um, I came that they might have life and that more abundantly. It, it's not meaning zeo, which is to live. It's meaning zoe, which is a quality of life. So the fact that he came to give us life, it's not, that, it's not just that he came to bring us from death in our sin to living in Christ. So it's not just that you were dead and now you're alive. That's zeo. Zoe is you have been brought from death to life, but the life is a quality of life. It's a, it's a type of life. And what type of life is it that Jesus came to give you? It's the type of life that he had. It's why Jesus would, really? Jesus, you're praying. You see all this death and destruction and, and how he walked. They do. How did he represent God? And those who followed him and engaged with him, what did they do? You know, I'm not just talking about trying to get us all to do miracles. I'm talking about us engaging God in such a way where we experience God's glory on the inside of us that it becomes attractive to others. And it, it is in the base things like sickness and, and finances, but even emotionally, you know, the peace and joy that we have. I feel like I've kind of cast a big old weight out there, and it's like, okay, now how do I apply? Okay. But just looking at this... Uh, Greek lexicon entry of the Greek word zoe, which if you don't know, the reason we talk a lot about Hebrew and Greek, the Old Testament is, was the original documents that we have are written in Hebrew. The New Testament, which is the bits about Jesus, was written in uh, Greek. And so that's why we talk a lot, because what, it, what all the Bibles that we have are mostly all translated from Greek, because it was the Roman culture that dominated, and that was the language. So when we talk about original language, even though they spoke Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew, the culture was in Greek and writing, and so that's what everything was written down in. That's why we have Greek. That's why we go back to original testament. Well, I'm going to keep going. All right, so this is, this is, so Jesus came that we might have life. What's he talking about? Not just that you're alive, but this here, the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. So, in other words, the state of Jesus, because he's giving us his life. This is what we have. This is what we can expect. And then the second one is of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, um, 
which belongs to God and through him both to the hypostatic. Hypostatic is a word that talks about a union. We won't go too much into that. But John 7, 38, who, who, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers. You might need a liver to flow out of your heart. I don't know. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I couple that with Romans 8, 11. Uh, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead, the dead will also give life uh, or will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. I see that as the same thing as this, that the spirit on the inside of you flows out of you to give life to you. Life in every single facet. Now, how do you actually seek to apply that? What does that look like for you? For the prophetic people, it's very artistic and creative and mystical even sometimes, and that's fine. And, and for the people that are linear, straight thinkers, you might get a picture of, you know, a package of spirit delivered into your cells that then teaches your cell how to do something, right? I mean, what does it actually look like for you to expect a river of life to flow out of your heart? Are y'all with me? Amen. A phrase like this comes to mind. Christ's life is a radiant spiritual energy. This is, this is how I think about spirit. I don't think about spirit as invisible in some far off distant place. I think about spirit as just a higher form of energy, like pure energy. And, and God is the purest of that energy, of an unlimited power source of energy that he's personal. He is a being. I'm not taking away from any of that. I'm not just trying to say God's a force, but there is a force element to him. So, but it's like, you know, there's all kind of energy floating through this room right now that your eye can't see. There's radio waves, there's gamma waves, there's x-rays, there's all kind of stuff floating through this room that you can't see. But if you had the right type of measurement system, you'd be able to see these kinds of waves. You'd be able to pick up those types of waves and it produces into music or audio or whatever. I think spirit's the same way. It's just that it's, it's, it's pure, it's holy, it's without darkness. And so it has to be received into a place that's of like kind to then be transduced into functioning within this realm. And, and I don't think you can manipulate it. It's, but we are receivers, we are receptors of this higher form of energy that we can interact with. And, I, you know, it's like he says, everything that's unseen can clearly be understood by the things which are seen. That spiritual dimension works a lot like this place. I'm just, I'm just trying to make it real to us that the Spirit of God is alive and active and moving in our lives and available to be interacted with and available to be assimilated and put into practice to change our lives, to transform, because we're walking around with guilt and shame and anxiety and confusion and heaviness and deep disease. And the Spirit of God is willing and able and powerful enough to do something about it. But do we seek to put this into practice in real ways? Or do we disagree with it theologically 
And so therefore we limit what God's trying to do in our lives, right? 1 John 5, 12, he who has the son has the life. Say, I have the life. I have the life of God. I have the life of God in me. So, I mean, what's he doing? I read this already, but the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has given life to your physical body. Then you get to this here. You know, this is Jesus speaking of himself. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. And you got to know it's not just that you're alive. It's the kind of life that he's seeking to give you. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Well, see there, the flesh profits nothing. Nothing. How can you expect healing? Well, it, because it comes in spirit and it's believed, it's received and believed, and then, and then it affects. It's, it's receiving it by faith that then has an effect to it. So in other words, the spirit being poured out to you, because here's what we would say. Well, if, if God wants it for me, then why doesn't he just heal me? Because flesh apparently doesn't go straight to spirit. There's that aspect of the heart receiving and then it being affected and assimilated into our lives. There's an element of the relational aspect of interacting with the spirit of the living God that we by faith then receive and then it becomes active in our lives. Now, if you don't like that process, then, you know, you take it up with God. But this is where a lot of theologies are developed of, you know, God's all-powerful. He can just do everything he wants to do. Well, you know what? In fact, I think everything that's happening is part of his control, and therefore I'm going to develop a whole system of theology that says everything that happens is God's design because it's hard to work out the responsibility aspect of receiving from the Spirit of God and walking out that which it's packaged to do. It's not just an automatic process. It's by grace through faith. It's by faith that we interact with the Word of God and it becomes a reality in our lives. All the times that Jesus addressed people not being able to experience that which he said was possible, he always said, there's doubt in your heart and you have little faith. That makes you feel all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? (laughs) But there's a responsibility aspect. And it's not that you've got to go get more faith. It's that are you engaging the Word of God in such a way that it produces faith and it changes your expectations? Because yeah. as your heart's open, it's as if it's built. You know, it's like a seed. Farmer casts seed in the ground. The farmer doesn't know how that seed works, but it grows and it bears fruit after its own kind. The Word of God is in you trying to be for you everything it's designed to do. But are we in agreement with it mentally? And I think a missing element is, are we seeking to put it into practice in our lives? Because that's where it becomes a reality for us. And, and nobody can teach you really how to do that. It's between you and the Holy Spirit actually working out the practical aspects of you putting this stuff into practice in your life. So he says, um, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Well, how, how? How are his words spirit and life? And I think about this, right? This is where my mind goes. We know, so, so in, in John chapter 1, we know that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on in chapter 1, John chapter 1, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
The word word there is the word logos. The word logos is talking about the, the, the vast understanding and logic of God that he used to create, you know, the way of God, God's thoughts, God's understanding, who he is, his character, his integrity, all became down into a human. That's Jesus, right? Jesus is the, the ways, the logic, the understanding, the integrity, the character of God all put down into a human being. But before that, Jesus was that expanded logic. So he is the word. It's, it's, honestly, you could just sit and think about this idea of Jesus, who Jesus, the nature of the kind of being that he is, even though for a while he was just in that human form. But then before that, the, the logos aspect, transcendent God side of him, you know, it's, it's amazing to think about that. And you can never really put all that into the right order. But when he says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and truth, it's such a big thing. Because you, then you got to think about this. Colossians 1.16. Colossians is a, is a huge book that, that, that talks about the preeminence of who Christ is. You know, you can develop all of your Christology out of Colossians, but Colossians says, for by him all things were created. All right, now, now, so keep this in mind. When Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life, how do you actually in interact with that to seek to apply? Because the words that he speaks to you that are instruction that you're seeking to put into practice are so much bigger and to me, this paints a bigger picture. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. They were all created through him. Another translation says, by him, through him, and for him. By him, through him, and for him. Everything that was created. And it was created from speaking. God said, boom. God said, boom. God said, yeah, thank you for that, boom. <laughs> then Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. He's talking about God speaking everything into existence. My words created everything. My words created all that exists. And so we have access to the Creator's words to take and put into our mind and put into our hearts and watch it create universes in our lives. Like, we can take the words of Christ in Scripture, hold them in our hearts and expect them to be as creative in our lives as they were when they created all of the universe. you telling me God can create trillions of galaxies, each with trillions of stars in each galaxy, but He can't help you with your mortgage? He can't help you with that sin habit that you'd think that you'll never be free from. And it's not that he's just going to make it happen. 
It's that you have to believe it, receive it, assimilate it, and walk it out. It's the walking out of this powerful word that's your responsibility. Here's another one. Well, so Hebrews 1.3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. So a little bit more practical, Proverbs 4.20. This is the last scripture. It says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. How? How? He says, my words are spirit and they are life. And here's the instruction. Incline your ear to my words. Hold them in your heart because they're health and life to your flesh even. You know, I, so I hope that you're opening your heart and you're kind of letting the spirit of God take over here and speak. But this is where, to me, just almost like an illustration, and I know the mRNA thing is like, boy, we could really have a lot of fun going into that right now, couldn't we? <laughs> but let's just forget about, you know, the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic. <laughs> and let's just forget about all the politicization and all that stuff around it, right? Just from a technological perspective, I just want you to have this mind in your, this mind in your thought. Uh, so, and, and a lot of you probably know this, so I'm just going to end with this. DNA makes RNA, RNA makes proteins, and RNA copies the genetic material to make proteins. So it's kind of like, actually, scientists aren't even really fully sure yet the difference between what DNA is doing, what RNA is doing, and how the intricacies all work together. They're still trying to sort it all out. But with an mRNA, which is a messenger RNA, so the, the mRNA is replicating, or the RNA in your body is replicating material to build the building blocks of life, the proteins that becomes DNA that informs your body of how to do what it's supposed to do, right? All the, all the while inside your body right now, there's all these systems going on. So mRNA is a technology that's supposed to do this. It's supposed to send information into your body to teach your body, to teach your cells how to develop an immunity to a particular disease that your body didn't previously have an immunity to. So it's a message. Now, you start to see the parallel maybe. It's a message being sent into your body so that your cells take the message, learn how to do something, and then develop a sense of immunity for the effect of health in your body. That's, that's genetic. It's, it's, you know, I forget what you've, you know, forget all the hype around it and everything, but just the idea of an external message being given to your body that then all the cells in your body pay attention to this message that come in and then start behaving differently for the effect of you being more healthy. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Like if I could have a message packaged here, that would teach your body how to destroy cancer, and I put it in there, and then all the cells in your body like, oh, now we know how to destroy cancer. We're going to go do that. They're actually working on that technology, mRNA technology for cancer. I'm all for that type of thing. Now, I'm not for, again, man, it's hard to keep myself from going into that, but anyway. Go for it. 
But do you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying, though? His words are spirit and they are life. If humans can come up with the idea of introducing from a scientific perspective, a biological perspective, to put information in your body so that your body trains, its, learns how to replicate health, how much more the Spirit of God? How much more the words of Christ coming into your body, affecting your cells? It's, I mean, he said it. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your mortal body right now. It's like the words of Christ are spiritual mRNA packets of life going into you, teaching your body naturally how to obey God, naturally how to assimilate life and experience health, naturally how to engage and have the wisdom of God in your life. Man, we are so limiting the effects of the Spirit in our lives and I'm telling you, I really think it's because we're not seeking to apply it. We're not seeking to actually apply the word and walk it out in our lives. And I, I think there's more on that. I mean, it's a little bit preliminary. I think I could probably develop that idea a little bit more and be maybe a little bit more specific and practical. But I think you're getting what I'm saying. A lot of times, the reason it's not working for us is because we're not seeking to actually walk it out in our lives. We understand it. We read it. We get the information. We agree with it. Now, let me apply it. So I want to challenge you. And I'm sorry if it's not broken down enough where it makes sense, but you guys are grown adults. You're smart people. I think you can kind of figure this stuff out. And share the insights with me as you do. But I, I, I think a body of Christ that starts to actually seek to practically apply the spiritual aspect of what God is doing on the inside of us in a real way Man, some serious transformation would happen personally and then the power that we would walk in. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. I just think I don't, I don't want to put the body of Christ in the revival mindset where we're always waiting for something to happen. Something, something's coming. This big thing's coming, you know. That like, the, like this, like where you are is inferior, but one day there's going to be this thing, you know. Man, I don't want to live that way. I really don't want to live that way. I don't want to cast that mindset within our church like, one day we're going to get here, you know. Now, I do expect progress. I do expect things, growth and all that, but not some like pie-in-the-sky fans of revival. Both of people experiencing transformation. and then So, seek to apply. And I'm and actually living this. Am I actually putting this into practice? Is this actually something that I expect to make a difference in my life? Because his words are spirit in their life. His words are infused with power. The logic that he's speaking to. This is, this is why we have to be so deeply rooted in our, under, our identity as new creation, children of God, safe and secure in the new covenant. Because his words, especially the teachings of Jesus, where he's like, Preaching impossibility, Math, you know, his Matthew, uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, where he, he ends it with, be as holy as God. He's like, da, 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 da. you know, if you, your eye offends, pluck it out, if your hand this, cut your hand off. And then, and then he brings it all down to this, be as holy as God. Well, what Jesus is doing is using the law to expose to your heart that you cannot live that law out 
And ultimately, you need to rest in his finished work, right? So when you're reading the words of Jesus, you got to know he's using the law to show you you are inferior, you can't keep the law, and ultimately you need him to fulfill it for you. Don't, don't forget that. But also don't throw it away as if it's not to be applied, right? I mean, all of his teachings are to sought. We should desire to be as holy as God in our behavior, right? But you can't do that. So I'm just saying, when you dig in and you're seeking to actually apply the words, don't read it from a legalistic perspective as if your inability to do it invalidates its ability to empower you to do it, wow. right? Don't read it and minimize yourself. Read it and realize, oh, he is this for me. Yes, I want to live within that and express that, but his words are powerful. His words are spirit and life, and they're not just ideas to think about. They're actually packages of power. They're nutrients. They're spiritual vitamins to assimilate into us to have a change and an effect. I want to live with the practical expectation that our interaction with the Spirit of God is making a difference in our lives. Amen? Amen. So stand up with me if you would. And, and just, you know I, know, I know it's a lot. There's a lot swirling around there. It's not got a nice little bow on it. But just affirm to him, I trust your word. Let's just say to him, I trust your word. I know that you love me. Through Christ, I'm accepted. Thank you for your word, which is spiritual life for me. I believe it, and I will seek to live it. Thank you for the grace to put it into practice. Thank you, Lord. Now, just, just, just inwardly, just kind of recognize him as Lord. Inwardly, just recognize him as your father. Just that holy place on the inside there. Recognize that the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. Worship Him. Glorify Him in that place. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're living with us. You're leading us and you're guiding us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to my body, but also that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving me wisdom, giving me insight, reinforcing the capacity to, to build wealth. Your Spirit, you, you said in your word, that you give us the power to get wealth, not to consume it upon our own lusts, but so that we'd be a blessing. Your promise to your children would be that you would build us into a strong nation to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. We don't want to limit you. We want to walk in everything that you have for us. Father, I thank you that as we walk out of here, each one of us is making the decision, making the intention to walk out your word, put it into practice in real ways. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I think he's speaking to some of you now. Don't, don't, don't minimize what you hear from God. Because you hear God. I'm telling you, you hear from God way better than you think that you do. Father, we speak health and life over every single person in this room. I thank you that our minds are clear that those sin habits that we have, we're willing to lay those down and we're willing to let your grace empower us. We're willing to even just change our minds that we don't have to deal with that stuff for the rest of our lives. We actually can be free from that stuff. Some of you have some sin habits in your life and you just it's just become a, a normal thing and you just feel like that it's just there 
you don't have to drag that thing around your entire life. You can let it go. The anger, the financial issues, sexual perversion. Father, I thank you that you're infusing life into those areas of our hearts and minds so that we would reflect your glory in those areas and experience the freedom of your spirit. I thank you that the sicknesses and the diseases and the stuff that's going on inside our bodies, your life is bathing those areas. You're just washing that stuff away as we trust you, we believe you. We're feeding on your spirit that's giving us life. Thank you, Father. And we will go. Our feet are prepared. Our steps are ready. We will go into this world around us and draw people to your kingdom. As they see us reflecting your glory, we're willing to be a light to people. We're willing to step into the opportunities to share the gospel, to share our stories, share our testimonies, point people to you, constantly spilling your life out into the world around us in a real and meaningful and practical way. We trust you and we love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.